Okay, so I want to start with a, a question or two, okay? Uh, it's a real simple question. It's only like four words and five words in, 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 in the second question, four words in the first. How secure are you? How safe do you feel? I don't mean that at this moment. I'm just talking about in general, you know? How secure do you feel? How safe are you? I was really blown away uh, to discover that the statistics of people who refuse to fly, I mean, they would rather get on a bus and travel across country than get in a plane. Did, did you know that 25 to 40% of the population have this, you know, panic issue when it comes to flying? There's that high anxiety when it comes to flying, getting in an airplane. Uh, may sound silly to you, but, but for others, you know, it, it, it's serious. Uh, I had a cousin, uh, his name is uh, Vincent Simon. Uh, he's half Italian and half uh, Turkish. Uh, he looks Middle Eastern. He, he's a big guy. And uh, his family was relocating from Brooklyn, New York to Phoenix, Arizona. That's a long ways across country. It's about at least 2,000 miles, maybe maybe 2,500, maybe somewhere in that area. And so he was never on a plane before. And so they booked passage on a plane, but he was really, really nervous about it, right? So here's this, here's this six foot two, six foot three, you know, Middle Eastern looking guy, and he's on the plane, right? And as soon as the doors closed on the plane, he started to, to panic. He, you know, he, he got up out of his seat. He, he just had to, had to open the door. He had to get out of the plane no matter what. You know, he had to get out, which made everybody on the plane really, really nervous, you know? And, and you know, that plane wasn't going anywhere at that point. Uh, he wasn't going anywhere except in a little room where he was being questioned by the FBI and other, other officials. And, you know, uh, every piece of luggage on that plane had to be taken off and re-examined, you know? Because, because he just didn't feel safe. He eventually made it to uh, Arizona, to uh, Phoenix, uh, three days later, having uh, ridden on a Greyhound bus because he didn't feel safe. Uh, how safe do you feel? Did you know that uh, there was a story that came out in CBS News about 10 days ago or so? Uh, I think it was uh, January 15th. Uh, and it was uh, that a, a Canadian TSA agent found a pipe bomb that was in a camera bag of a 18-year-old. Uh, the guy's name is Murphy. I don't know if he's any relation to you guys. No. His, his name was Skylar Murphy. Uh, he lived in Atlanta, uh, and uh, he he had a pipe bomb. It was like 12 inches long, caps on both ends, a fuse inside, filled with dynamite. The TSA agent on film, on video, was reportedly handing it back to him saying, you can keep it. And the, and, and, and the young man said, no, 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 I, I don't want it. You don't understand, I don't want it. He says, no, no, you, you, you can have it. And he was shown on video. The TSA agent from Canada was, was, was shown trying to give the guy and then, and, then, and then letting him board his plane. He was going to, the flight was to Mexico where he and his family were planning on having a vacation for about a week, right? Um, this, is, this is absolutely true story, right? Um, what had happened was uh, the, the TSA agent didn't tell anybody for the next four days 
when they notified the Royal Canadian Police about the pipe bomb. Well, needless to say, uh, Mr. Murphy was arrested when he came back to the States. There was a team, a squat team, you know, the FBI and all the other TSA, whatever uh, other authorities were there. He, he simply forgot that it was in his bag. He, he had no ill intent involved. He just simply forgot. And, and the thing is that he and a buddy of his had made a couple of pipe bombs. One of the pipe bombs that they made, they blew up in a field. And they were just kind of curious. And, and he had it in his bag months before and forgot all about it. And, and, that, and that was allowed to get on to a plane. So how, how safe do you feel? My 70-plus-year-old uh, uh, mother-in-law uh, was stopped at MacArthur Airport because she had a little pair of scissors like this, this big. All 90 pounds of her was viewed as a threat on that flight, and so they confiscated her scissors. I had to go down to the, to the, to the authority there and ask for the scissors back. It was our favorite pair of scissors. Remember that? The things you do for your mother-in-law, amen. I don't know if you know this, but, but a North Carolina man who happens to be a computer programmer, you know, in spite of all these restrictions that they have, you know, and all these safeguards put in place, he has proven that you can carry a weapon onto a plane by, by purchasing various products at the gift shop past the security checkout. You know, every, every airport has these, these, these kind of gift shops, and, and he's proven it on his website. He's demonstrated how in 10 minutes he can make a grenade, a shotgun, and a crossbow. This is what he does to prove his point. He buys lithium batteries, uses it with a combination of water and uh, with a, a, a bottle of body spray and, it, and, and a, a handful of change. And that handful of change becomes uh, a projectile that can, so powerful enough that it can penetrate through drywall. The grenade is also used with lithium batteries and a combination of stainless steel, uh, one of those coffee mugs. And uh, this is all stuff that he can buy, you know, at the, at the gift shop, past the security. So needless to say, uh, this gentleman by the name of Edvin, Evan Booth has been visited by Homeland Security. Uh, they, he's, he's certainly gotten their attention, all right? Now, here's the thing. I hope that you're not depending upon your security for the TSA agents or Homeland Security. Uh, the latest estimates of the uh, identity theft and uh, the uh, uh, stealing of credit card information from, from Target. So some of you shop there, you call it Target, right? Uh, at, at first, the estimates were 70 million people, but, but the reality is now that it's more like 110 million people. So if you shopped at Target, Target between... Uh, Black Friday and, you know, Christmas time, then, then what has probably happened is your identity has been, has been stolen. Your credit card information, your email address, your phone number, your address, all of that stuff probably has been compromised. One, in one of the biggest uh, identity theft ever, you know, in history. There's a gentleman by the name of, of Kennedy, uh, David Kennedy, he has testified before uh, Congress last week that it took him exactly four minutes 
to get into the files of 70,000 enrollees in, in, in Obamacare. He has uh, told Chris Wallace that it took him approximately four minutes just using a regular browser to break into the 70,000 personal records of Obamacare enrollees. So again, I ask you the question is, how secure are you? If you live in an apartment, you know, you probably know that one of the standard, uh, you know, uh, ingredients of security in, in, a, in an apartment is one of those chains on the doors, you know, and those locked chains and you slide it in and once you're inside, you, you're locked. But experts will tell you they can do very little to protect an intruder from breaking into your home. In fact, it's, it's more or less a psychological placebo. You're not really as secure as you may think you are. So where does your security come from? Uh, I deadbolt my, my front door at night. I lock it. Uh, I usually forget, however, to lock my back door. And uh, in my backyard, uh, I have deer, and some of them are pretty big with antlers and the whole thing. And, and my wife is faithful to remind me to lock the back door. And what she'll usually tell me, she told me this last night, she says, honey, we don't want the buck to stop here. Lock the back door, you know? So for some reason, she thinks they're gonna come in the house. They can, they can open the door, you know? They can come in if they want to, you know? So, so how, how secure are you? I have, I subscribe to uh, LifeLock. Maybe some of you do that too. And it's a pretty good idea. It's one of those, it's those companies that, that monitor your, you know, your credit card and your identity and, 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 and tries to protect you financially, right? Uh, that, that's cool. Uh, Ever since they showed some videos on, on TV about uh, this game that's taking place where it's like a knockout game where, where, where somebody will come up to you and try to give you a, a sucker punch knockout, I'm aware of my surroundings, you know? Like I'm looking at everybody kind of suspiciously, you know, if I'm out in public, you know? But I, I got to tell you this, m my security doesn't come from LifeLock or from a bolt on my door. My security comes from my belief in my knowledge of the sovereignty of God, that God watches over me, that I am in the palm of his hand that no one can pluck me out, and that there are promises that God has given to us in his presence providing for us the kind of security that we need. Now, let me just, just say this about security. Security and protection uh, or, or safety is nothing new. It's as, it's as old as the Bible. It, it's instinctive. It's part of our self-preservation. We, we, we want to feel safe and secure. And one of the ways I believe that God has, has encouraged people of faith, you see, we, people of faith, we know where our help comes from. Our help comes from the maker of heaven and earth. And there's a title that I want to us to look at this morning. We've been looking at the titles of Jesus, all of the various names that bring out the, the, the wonder of Jesus. And, and there is, it, it, it goes way back into the Old Testament and, and it finds its, also its, uh, its substance also in the New Testament. And one of the titles given to Jesus, in fact, it, it's a variety, all basically saying the same thing. And David said it like this in Psalm 61 verse two. David sang, when my heart is overwhelmed, Lord, lead me to the rock that's higher than I. David said, the Lord is my rock and 
He's my salvation. Blessed be my rock. Blessed be the God of my salvation. And let the rock be exalted. God is figured in this imagery as a rock. Jesus is called the living stone, and we'll look at that in a little bit more detail. The cornerstone, and, 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 and that was purposed by inspiration of the Holy Spirit to produce in us confidence and a sense of security in the midst of a very unsafe world. God wants us to experience a peace that passes understanding, knowing that we're in the palm of his hand. When I was 15 years old, I was uh, sailing on the Leonardo da Vinci, coming uh, back from Europe uh, on a cruise ship. I've shared that with you in the past. Uh, I passed through what was called the Straits of Gibraltar. Anybody ever hear of that? Ever hear of the Rock of Gibraltar? Well, I saw the Rock of Gibraltar up close and personal as we, as we passed. And I tell you what, I don't know why they call it a rock. It's more like a mountain. It is so huge. So when I draw the imagery of God the rock in my life, the upon, upon, which, upon which my life is built, I, I draw back from, from the strength and the security that comes from knowing that a rock is like that is unmovable. The, the, there's, there's no way that you can move that, that rock, and there's no way that you can move our God. So I want to talk to you about Jesus as the cornerstone and the living stone. So we'll look at a couple of different scriptures this morning. In Matthew 21, verse 42, Jesus is talking to those who were who are despising him and rejecting him. And this is what he said to them. As he self-ascribes to himself the title of cornerstone, he said this. He said, he said have you never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing and it was marvelous in his eyes. Jesus understood himself to be the cornerstone of the living temple. And, and that is another uh, imagery or metaphor for, for the church that we are called living stones being fitly framed together, the habitation or the dwelling place of God, Jesus himself being that chief cornerstone that holds us all together, that, that bridges every part of the temple of the living God. Now, now, Jesus understood himself not only to be the cornerstone, but also to have been rejected. He's the man who Isaiah said was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. Jesus, listen, Here's the thing about Jesus. He always understood that he would be despised and rejected, that he would be insulted, that he would be reviled, that he would be crucified. But he never spoke of that as though he was the victim. But he always spoke about his rejection in terms of his ultimate triumph and his ultimate victory that on the third day he would rise again from the dead. The imagery, I believe I shared this a number of weeks ago, maybe a couple of months ago, you know, correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, the, the actual rejection of the, the cornerstone, uh, literally, th th this is a quotation, Jesus is quoting Psalm 118, but it happened in the history of Israel that when the temple of Solomon was being built, now they say that when Solomon's temple was built, there was no sound of hammers, no pounding taking, that, that the building was relatively put in place 
in, 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 in almost complete silence. Amazing that at the quarry where, where the stones were being framed and cut and fashioned, the, 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 the plans were so precise that, that these stones, these great massive stones just slipped into place. Now what happened was that there was this awkward looking stone that was delivered to the temple site and, and, and the builders didn't know what to do with it. And so they just kind of laid it to the side. But the workmen found that it was in the way. So they, they rolled it down the Kidron Valley. They, they pushed it over this little hump and it rolled down the Kidron Valley. And, and when the foundation was laid and they came time to, to, to need that cornerstone to put in place, they called for the masonry, they called to the quarry, they sent the message, send up the cornerstone. And, and, and the message came back, we sent it up already. That was the stone that was rejected. And when they gathered it and they put it in place, it fit perfectly. And it held all of those other stones perfectly in place. Well, that's what Jesus is to us. He's our sufficiency. He is our strength. You know, so many times before, before service like this, we, we gather for prayer, the, the worship team and I, we, 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 we gather to, to, to acknowledge before God, we are weak, but you are strong. We, we can do nothing of ourselves, but only what you can do through us. Do you not know that God is, not, is never weary? I mean, look at us. We're vulnerable. We, we get tired. We, we expend our energy. We, we get colds and flus, and, 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 and we feel our vulnerability. But the Bible says that God is never weary, that he never sleeps and he never slumbers, and he is able to keep. He is able to protect those that belong to him. Do you know that kind of security in your life, that your life, that your life is your life is hid with Christ in God, and that, and that means it doesn't mean that nothing negative or nothing bad could ever happen to you. It just simply means that God is the one who orchestrates every detail of your life, and you can trust Him, so that He will work all things together for your good and for His glory, no matter what things look like outwardly. Jesus is a great rock upon which we build our lives. And that means he's indestructible. He has is, he is, he is conquered death. And as a result of that, listen, there is nothing for us to ever be afraid of. I want you to look at me in 1 Peter chapter 2 this morning. Here's a promise for us that though, those that put their trust in him will never be ashamed will never be confounded. We will never be disappointed. Listen to what Peter says. And Peter, Peter, we're, we are so much like Peter because we have all had times when we thought we were doing good and then we began to sink. And we began to realize our own frailty. But Peter began to discover that there is a strength that comes to his life that comes from outside of his life. So Peter says this, as you come to him, Jesus, the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. 
Here's the, here's the allegory. Jesus is the living stone, but also we are living stones and we are being fitly framed together. The whole house is resting upon the person of Jesus Christ, upon his accomplishments and his achievements. Sacrifices in this house, no blood sacrifices. The sacrifices now are the sacrifices of the praise, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to God. Jesus has made sure that the final completed sacrifice would be acceptable and that because of it, we have been set apart and made holy by that one sacrifice. Verse six says, for in scripture it says, see I lay in Zion a chosen precious cornerstone. The one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Never will you be put to shame. Never will you be confounded or disappointed as long as your trust is in Jesus Christ. What a tremendous promise that is. That guilt and shame has been taken away from us. But not only that, we'll never be confounded. The enemies of our soul will never be able to succeed against us. You remember what Jesus said, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He wasn't talking about Peter. He was talking about the rock of revelation. When Peter said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God, Jesus said, on this rock, when you know that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the son of the living God, that didn't come to you because of any intellectual prowess on your part. That came to you because that was revealed to you by my Father which is in heaven, Jesus said. And on that rock, the gates of hell, the strategies, the weapons that the enemy will seek to use to pluck you out of my hand will not succeed. No weapon formed against you will prosper. That's something to get excited about. Verse seven says, now, to you who believe this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone and a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes men fall. Remember the prophecy that was spoken by Simeon who took baby Jesus in his arms and said, this child is set for the fall and the rise of many in Israel. Here, is a consistency that is being said here. This stone is also a stone of stumbling upon which some will fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful a marvelous light. Well, great promises have been given to us in Christ. The imagery of this living stone, the rock upon which our lives are to be built, to us who believe Jesus is precious. But what Peter is, is making a point here is that Jesus is like a stone in everyone's life. Everyone's life. They, they, everyone has to react to the stone. You can't walk around it. You can't jump over it. You can't ignore it. Jesus will not be ignored. He will either be esteemed and counted as being precious or as being irrelevant and, and undesirable. But to those who find him to be undesirable and offensive, he becomes that rock of offense upon which they will stumble and they will fall. But if you find Jesus precious, 
and you build your life on him, you will never, ever, ever be disappointed, nor will you ever be ashamed. If you build your life upon Jesus, the rock. However, if you find him to be unappealing and offensive, and you respond to him in disobedience and unbelief, then that stone will eternally be a stumbling block. There's no escaping the clear message that Peter is giving to us, that our destiny depends on how we react to the stone that God has laid before us. But whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Frank Labach was 45 years old when he was a seminary professor. He was a missionary to the Philippines. And, and, and as a professor, he was next in line to become the president of that seminary. That was his dream. That was, that was his one desire in life, to be, to be the president residing over the seminary where he taught as, as a professor. But when the incumbent president came time to retire, the board chose someone else. And Frank felt as though he was crushed. He was, he was, he was wounded by, I guess, promises were made. There was, there was hopes that were, were built on him being the successor. And Frank did what a lot of Bible characters have done when they get disappointed and wounded like this. Frank ran away. Frank read far from that position. And he was hurt, he was wounded, and he felt that God was unfair and that God was being unjust. But God began speaking to Frank. And God said, Frank, I have, I have big plans for you. I have better plans for you. If you'll just trust in me. And little by little, Frank began to Change and he began to put his trust back in the Lord. And the Lord began to open up opportunities and put a key into Frank's hand where, where you may have never heard of Frank Labach, but he has become the father of a literary movement that is touching the world. As a missionary, he's been given a key to teach reading skills to foreign Nations, nations that, 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 that are not Christian-minded at all. And he was given the opportunity to choose the reading material. Well, what do you suppose Frank chose as the reading material to teach people how to read, how to become literate? He chose the Word of God. And Frank has literally been able to put the Word of God into the hands of hundreds of millions of people. His vision was to have an impact on maybe a couple of hundred of students that would come through, come through seminary through the course of his lifetime. But here God had something way more important for him to do, to influence the lives of hundreds of millions of people. You see, I really believe that when we put our trust in him, even what appears to be disappointments or discouragements really become the catalyst and opportunities for which God can use us to further and to build the kingdom of God. In scripture, Jesus is the rock. 
He's the, he's the, the writer of Hebrews says, he's the rock that followed the children of Israel that gave refreshing water from that rock. Symbolically, Jesus is that rock. He's the rock in the book of Daniel cut out of a mountain without human hands that breaks the image of Nebuchadnezzar in pieces or breaks the nations which it symbolized in pieces and it fills the whole earth. Jesus is the rock in Isaiah of the shadow of a great rock in a weary land. When we feel weary, Jesus is our rest and he's our strength. But do you remember there was a rock in the book of Genesis that became important? It was a, it was, it was a rock that Jacob, and I don't, I don't understand how anybody could do this, but Jacob used it as a pillow. Remember when Jacob fled from his brother and he found a, a rock? Maybe it was shaped like a pillow, I don't know. And, 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 and he used it as a pillow for his head and he fell asleep. But when he fell asleep, he had a vision of angels ascending and descending on a ladder. Remember that? And he had a, and, and in his dream, God spoke to him and God gave, gave him promises concerning himself, protecting him, providing for him, but not only for him, but for also for his descendants. And when Jacob woke up in the morning, he said, whoa, I think that's what it says. No, something like it. He said, he said, he said something like, this place is awesome. And I didn't know it. This is none other than the gateway to God's presence, to God's house. And he, and he did something strange. He took oil and he poured it on that rock as a kind of a marker to remember the promises that God had made to him in that dream or vision that he had. That rock. Well, let me tell you, the, the Scots, you know, uh, if you know a little bit about the Scotland, the Scotland tried to symbolize and inject that into their culture of, of, a, of a sacred stone upon which blessings would come to, 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 to those. And it was used in the coronation of Scottish kings and that they invoked the blessings of God upon the people that they ruled over. But what had happened in 1296, King Edward in a battle captured that stone and took it and brought it to Westminster Abbey. And he had it installed into the frame of a chair that became Edward's chair. And from that moment on, all down through the centuries, it had been used as the coronation chair in which the royalties of, 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 of British households received their crown. They sat in that chair while they received their and, and And what it was, it was invoking the blessings that was associated with that stone. Well, 1950, on Christmas Day, four Scottish students broke into uh, Westminster Abbey and they stole that stone and they brought it back to, to, to Scotland. They wanted to right the wrong. They never forgot. Uh, and the... Uh, they probably never forgot the fact, too, that they lost their, their own sovereignty, you know. Uh, and, and they found it to be a little bit harder to keep than imaginable as the, the Brits were hot on their tail. So they brought it to the Church of Scotland, thinking that it would be safe there, but the officials of the Church of Scotland called up the, the Brits, and, and they came and retrieved it, and they brought it back to England. In 1996, there was tension between Scotland and England. 
And to kind of, to kind of relieve the tension, the English sent the stone back to Scotland with the understanding that whenever they needed in the coronation of the royal, that it would be, it would be lent back to them for that purpose because that stone had that much significance because it, well, it invoked the blessings of those that would rule the people over it. And why do I even tell you that story? Because 2,000 years ago, God laid a stone, a chief cornerstone in Zion, who doesn't merely invoke the blessings of those who come underneath it, but who actually is the very blessing. Every promise is yes in Jesus Christ. He is that stone of blessing for us who build their lives upon Jesus Christ. He's the rock of revelation. And therefore, because of that, no enemy of hell will be able to succeed against us. No weapon formed against us shall prosper. Last portion of scripture before we close this morning. Matthew chapter seven. Jesus said this, and, and this is how we build our lives upon the rock. This is the practical aspect of this message this morning. He says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, when you become a doer of the word of God and not a hearer only, Jesus says, when you put them into practice, let me tell you what you're like. You're like a man who built your house on the rock, not a rock, but the rock. The rain came down, the, st the streams rose and the winds blew and it beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had the foundation on the rock. Conversely, he says this, but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew, and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. The only place that is absolutely safe in this world for us is to have our lives built upon the word of God, is to have our lives built upon the sayings of Jesus, to take those words and realize that they are words of life to them that find it, and they are health to all of our flesh. How safe are you depends on how you value the rock and how you value the words upon which you build your life. Funny thing is, is that the storm comes to everyone. It comes to those who build their house on sand and to those who build their house on the rock, but those that build their house on the rock have a security of knowing that they will stand in the end. I want to tell you something. There's a storm that's coming. I'm not talking about the great tribulation. I, I'm not, there's a storm that's coming to every man and every woman's life. It's that, it's that moment when we, when we pass through the portal of, of one dimension into the next. And what we have built our life upon has it been sand or has it been the rock? Paul said, there's no other foundation that any man can lay except Jesus Christ. But take heed how that you build upon that foundation. 
And so the word of God this morning would encourage us to take the words of Jesus and become doers of the word and not just hearers only. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ, his blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in his sweet name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Remember, probably never sang it yourself, but I'm sure you've heard, maybe sung in a movie, Rock of Ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. From the wounded side which flowed, be of sin and double cure, save from wrath and make me pure. Jesus saves from wrath. You are not appointed unto obtain wrath, but to obtain mercy through Jesus Christ. That's the storm that I'm talking about. And the only safe place for us is to be found in Christ. When your life is hid with Christ in God, you're at rest. It's something that is stronger than you. Lord, lead me to the rock. When my heart is overwhelmed, Lord, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. That's Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I thank you this morning for the message of the living stone. And we as living stones are being fitly framed into Christ. I thank you, Lord, that there is security in Jesus, that he has given us the promise that none can pluck us out of his hand. I thank you this morning that in Jesus Christ we have the safety and the assurance that we know intrinsically that we long for. And that's the greatest of all, that our lives have been hid with Christ in God. I just wanna thank you for that truth this morning. Thank you, Father, that as we center our life and our being in Christ Jesus, we will not be disappointed. We will not be ashamed. And that's the promise we can hold you to.